I'll shrink my decoy spread size. Typically, I have a Jake over a laydown hen. That's kind of my go-to. And it's just like choosing a broadhead or an arrow or anything else that we do. Why? Because that's what I've had the most success with. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. And today, I've got one of my best friends on the line with me. And uh, it's a little weird doing this podcast over the phone um, instead of just doing it in person. Jace Bowserman. Um, Jace has been, me and Jace go way back. And if you don't know Jace, Jace is an outdoor writer. Um, and he has, shoot, he and I started out um, back in the early 2000s. And I went to work for a company called Zebra Publishing. And Zebra Publishing published two magazines, published uh, Bowhunt America and Inside Archery. And about the time that I left Bowhunt America and Inside Archery and went to work for Bowhunter Magazine, Jace took over in a uh, editorial role over there um, as the editor. And ever since then, he's he served as the editor for uh, Inside Archery, Bowhunt America, Bowhunting World, Archery Business, and here in what the last couple of years you've uh, you've gone out on your own and you're and you're freelancing and probably doing more writing than you ever have in your career. Correct? Yes, I would say right now that uh, I'm busier than I've ever been. Um, <laughs> you can't, can't ever be too busy, but right now it sure it sure feels that way. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoy it. I like. I like the content creation of things a lot more than I liked the editing of things. I'm probably not the world's best editor, but I consider myself a fairly decent content creator. So being able to create content how I want to and being able to do it across lots of platforms, whether that be social, digital, uh, print, of course, is still my favorite. Uh, But being able to diversify and be able to do all those things along with some video stuff, that for me is the most rewarding part of my job. Um, yeah. Trying to put out good information that people can internalize and that, that will actually help um, in, in a lot of aspects. So being able to do that on my own is is a lot of fun. You have been doing more and more video lately. I was just looking through your uh, Instagram because you posted up an awesome turkey video yesterday <laughs> uh, of, a, of a decoy just getting thrashed. But you've got a lot of tips. Yeah. And, uh, Jace's Instagram is Jace underscore Bowserman. Um, if you're looking for him on there, and he's got a lot of of tips that don't just have to do with with bow hunting, um, just straight up archery tips. Uh, all kinds, of, all kinds of good information on there. Um, he's also authored two different books. One of them we were going to talk uh, talk about today because it is turkey season. Yes, uh, it it's is. called. Turkey Hunting Tales, Tips, and Tactics, Your Guide to Spring Success. And then the other one was Bow Hunting the Prince of the Plains, about bow hunting antelope, correct? Yep, that's right. That's right. And so you and I, we we should have planned this better. We should be doing this podcast in person. You should be here, and we should just be doing this like in the field. Well, we, we should have been. <laughs> we should have done this behind a behind a in a ground blind or or uh, behind a set of decoys or something to make it. Uh, yeah, I mean we're only two hours apart, so doing it I over know. the phone, kind of crazy. But schedules, you know. But you were just yeah. here the other day too, so that was well, good. And 
we and we didn't end up killing a bird that day. Matter of fact, we're me and you are kind of on a we're kind of on a slump in our bow hunting together. I know. Like, two years ago, how to be broken? Jason and I, Jason and I, we went on a turkey hunt um, here. You know, not far from my house. Jace come came up and and stayed at my place, and we went out and had one of the best mornings of turkey hunting oh, that I've ever had in my life. Um, it was sensational. It, it was really was like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I said it, we videoed that hunt and it's a, uh, it's yeah. on my YouTube page and it's also on ultimate predators YouTube page. But, um, that, that hunt, other than when my kids have taken some of their first animals yeah, or for first turkeys. Sure. That was the most spectacular morning of turkey hunting. I think I've ever had Jason. I, went out and it was, I think it was the second day of the season and we had snow on the ground, probably two yeah. inches of snow. Lots and of snow. <laughs> we were up in the pines and it was our first time using, or it was my first time, I don't know if it was your first time, that uh, Primos double bull, the, the see-through blind. Yeah, the, the um, surround view. The surround view 360. That was and both of our first times using it. Holy, if you've never used one of those things, if you're a ground blind hunter, a turkey hunter, that is an incredible blind. <laughs> that oh my god! Really, it adds it another is, element that makes it so fun being able to have that visibility in all yeah. directions and then just having, you know, the blacked out sheet behind you and just being yep. able to have that full visibility. You know, you just, you don't, you, you don't ever have to, to wonder what's to your left or, or, to, or to your right. You know, you can, you can glance out the window and see it. They just can't you, see you. It's remarkable. Yeah. If you guys don't know what blind we're talking about, uh, you really need to do yourself a favor and look that thing up. But um, we were sitting in that blind and in it, you can see all the way around you. You don't just have the shooting window that you usually do. And we, we, we were on these birds right off the roost. They didn't fly down where we could see them or anything, but we had three, oh shoot, it was what, well before 7 a.m. in the morning. I mean, it oh, was yeah. 30 minutes after fly down or something. Yep. Three big toms come into our setup and one of them goes to thrashing on our decoy that we have out in front. Jay smokes him and he runs off about 30 yards and dies. And we walk up to that thing. And I mean, the sun is just coming up through the pines. It was and this is a man. beautiful Miriam's. It's a dead still calm morning after a snowstorm, two inches mm -hmm. of snow on the ground. And Jace walks up and that bird has three big long ropes on him, man. Yep. It was it was just a spectacular gobbler and a spectacular hunt. Um, and right after we get done with that, we decided, okay, we're going to drive to another spot that is – Oh shoot! It's probably only a half hour away, but here on the Front Range of Colorado, where I where I'm at, we've got some really diverse landscapes. Yeah, and definitely. the first one that we took in there was in that pine setting, like you know, traditional Miriam's. Um, yeah, definitely. Terrain, kind of mountain, very actually very mountainous terrain. Yeah, yeah. And we dropped down into the eastern Colorado stuff, down into a Cottonwood Creek bottom, and drove basically straight over there. And this, uh, this is prior to me buying the uh, ultimate predator gear uh, company yeah. and yep. owning stalker decoys. And I was using a stalker decoy 
And we went down there and found two toms that were cruising that Cottonwood Creek bottom. And Jason and I were able to set up to where he was about 50 yards behind me, maybe 60 yards behind me in a ground, yeah, in not, not a ground line. Yeah. And I went out way in front of the ground line with that stalker decoy mounted on my bow and called those two toms across a big open flat and ended up, <laughs> it was probably the coolest turkey kill of my entire life. These two, I, I shot in self-defense. They charged, across, <laughs> they charged across that open field at me and came into like four, no, four yards and finally kind of checked up like, oh man, this bird's not dropping out of strut, you know, or we need to make sure we're not going to get our yep. butts kicked here. And yep. well, one of them did get their butt kicked, but in the span of an hour, we had two big toms on the ground in yes. like spectacular fashion, spectacular yeah. fashion. And since that time, <laughs> Jason and I have we we've we elk hunted together. <laughs> yep, we've we've elk hunted together, um, and you know didn't end up connecting on an elk when we elk hunted. Then we antelope hunted together, and yep. we had one of the coolest encounters that I've ever. If you want to talk about that encounter yep. a little bit during that antelope hunt. That one was awesome because we had, you know, it was early, it was early season and we were hunting up there at your place. And, you know, we wanted to, the goal was, you know, to do it kind of, I guess what I would say is a non-traditional, non-traditional method. We weren't sitting in a water hole. We weren't really doing spot and stock. We put out a 3D buck decoy, just basically out in the middle of this, of this pasture. Um, 3D buck antelope decoy. Yeah, 3D buck antelope decoy. And then we strapped a couple of stalker antelope decoys to our bow um, or to my bow and your camera. And then we just kind of hunkered in there and, yep. you know, it was, it was very much, uh, pre-rut, uh, the, the bucks were not, not super responsive. Um, a lot of them were still traveling together. We had bachelor groups, so we were playing more off of curiosity than we were dominance. And, um, we, we had antelope. It was just cool to have antelope moving around us. Some, some were as close as a hundred yards and some were 300 yards, but just, just moving through the pasture. And then, we did have one buck that just decided, Hey, I want to get over there and see, see what's going on. And I don't know how long it took him, but <laughs> to go from 80 yards to 52 yards was, was forever. And I just yeah. remember telling you, he was just like, hanging out. Oh, gosh, he was just hanging out. He didn't, he didn't want to run the other buck off. He just kind of wanted to see, we put ourselves in an area that they just like to be. It was kind of a, you know, if we were talking whitetails, we were in there, we were in a bedding area, really. I mean, there was yeah. so much piss and poop and everything else on the ground in there and beds that's just where they wanted to be. It's where you'd seen them a lot. And so that's where we thought if we're there, you know, we're, we're just upping our chances that much more. And, and, and that buck started to come in and then he crept and he crept and he crept and he never really gave us, um, never really gave us a great shot. And at 50, I think it was like 52 yards. I mean, you could tell my knees were starting to, I mean, I couldn't stay in the position that I was in any longer. And yeah. I told you, I, I feel comfortable. I'm going to go ahead and shoot. And uh, I got back and, and and I shot and I was furious <laughs> because <laughs> it did not end the way that I wanted it to. And I was well, super the, mad. The buck ducked the string on him. And yeah. the crazy and the thing time, is, is <laughs> when when Jay saw it, he thought that he made a bad shot. He thought that he shot high. 
Yeah. Um, and when we went back and looked at the footage, you found out real quick he did not shoot high. Yeah. Uh, that buck ducked the string and the arrow missed high. Um, and it, a lot of times, if you're not filming it, you don't know that that even happened because it, it happens so fast that your mind doesn't register. It. Yeah. And that was the learning curve for me on that because I remember you told me, you're like, dude, I think he ducked it really hard. And I remember like almost snapping at you because I was so mad at myself. And I'm like, there's no excuse. Don't tell me that. I just screwed up. And you're like, dude, I'm telling you, you haven't filmed a lot of hunts. And, 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 and I hadn't, and I hadn't watched a lot of hunts back on video. And then when we got right. over to, to, um, Donman's house to your friend Donman's house, you know, we got over there and then all of a sudden it was like, Oh my gosh, I watched this. I watched this buck just fall out of sight. I mean, it was incredible to see. Yeah. And I mean, remember we were taking measurements and angles and seeing where and, 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 and how everything was, you know, falling together. And it was just absolutely crazy to see the distance that that buck dropped in that short of a time, time yep. span. And How the funny quick. thing is with an antelope, they can do that to you at 20 yards. They, oh, you know, gosh, if they're on so alert fast. and looking at you, this buck was relaxed when you shot, um, but they're still fast enough to be able to get down. And with a longer shot like that, boy, it's, it, it, it's a roll of the dice sometimes. Yeah. And even if you're holding low, because that arrow actually would have been a heart shot arrow when we yeah. watched it back on the, on the slow-mo. But so after our, glorious turkey hunt we had that antelope hunt go bad and then just a few months ago I, i've been telling jace i've been on this goofy quest here in colorado I've, i'm waiting on one animal for my colorado big nine yeah and that's uh bighorn sheep and yep. I, I i i can't do anything about it until i get lucky enough to draw a tag you know yeah um, that's exactly but right. the only other primary game species that isn't part of the Colorado big nine that I haven't shot in Colorado with my bow is a bobcat. And yep. so for the last couple of years, I've been on this quest to try and call a bobcat in and shoot him with my bow. Oh, and Jace gosh, was dude, telling me, he was telling me, Danny, uh, I've got a bobcat that keeps showing up on one of my cameras down here on this Creek bottom down near my house that, uh, he shows up every couple of days, you know, you ought to come down here and we'll try him. So we went down there and th this is just like two months ago. And yeah, this, this was, was not long ago at all. It was my first and first time hunting um, with my new, with my new Hoyt <laughs> and I, the Venom 33. And I was so pumped about that bow and you want your bow to start out with good luck. I mean, yet that first hunt is crucial for me. Like the, yeah. just to make sure that the juju that that bow has is yes. good juju. You want, you want um, good goodness on that bow for sure. Exactly. And Jason and I go out and we, Jace sat down next to a tree and I stood up right next to a tree and we, I was in snow camo. Um, and it was, it was freezing, it, man. It was, it was freezing negative cold. Temperatures. Negative temperatures Ugh. and Miserable. Four or five inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> Miserable. We put that call out in front of us and turned it on. And literally, uh, I'm talking, and this doesn't happen very often. Like I said, I've been doing it for two years. I call in yeah. coyotes quite a bit, sure. but I don't call bobcats in that frequently. That call had maybe run for a minute. It had and, run long. And all of a sudden, we look up, and here is this 
big Tom Bobcat that is running in like a coyote. Usually when you call a Bobcat in, Bobcats creep in. You all of a sudden you look over and there's one standing there, you know, 50 (laughs) yards from you or 20 yards from you or whatever. And it just appears from nowhere because they, they creep their way in. They sneak in real sneaky. This thing bolted across. He was bolting straight at us across that wide open flat through the snow. I can close my eyes. Oh, dude. It looked like National Geographic footage. It did. And I could close my eyes and see that snow just coming up. And oh. just, he was just, it was, it was, it was a beeline. So that bobcat runs in to 20 yards and I, oh man, I wish we were filming it. I wish we'd oh. been filming it because it was so beautiful. Um, and he stops at 20 yards when he catches me drawing. And he was probably more like 23. And I, you know, I can't swear to it because we don't have it on film, but yeah. I missed that. I missed that Bobcat high. And when he stopped and caught that movement, he locked up and, and was like, what the heck is that? And he's looking yeah. right at me. I'm almost certain that that thing ducked just like the antelope did. And I wish, I wish we would have had it on film because there was I just, w- it, I wish we yeah. had, you went back and shot your bow and you called me and you're like, that should be a dead bobcat. And, yeah. you know, it was just calling a bobcat in anyway is always yeah. cool. But getting yeah. to call one in the way that that particular bobcat came in. And, and, and I told you that was the exact bobcat that we went down there to call. I'd had him on trail camera for, I mean, hunting deer down there since October. And I knew yeah. he was a big Tom. And oh. that's why he came the way he did. You know, a big Tom bobcat they can they can back themselves into a corner and if a coyote catches them out or something like that they'll fight they're they're yeah. not scared of anything you know and that's why he came that way if it was a if it was a small tom or not a dominant tom or a female you know that's where you get those ones that are really sneaky and creeping in but when you have one that is that aggressive um yeah. and that dominant he came i mean he came on a he just oh well, gosh it was so it was, fast you yeah trying to plan something like that with a bobcat is hard, man. We could go out and we could have 20 more sets and not call a bobcat in. You know what I mean? That's Um, conservative. Or never, never see the one. And to say that I was gut shot when that thing (laughs) went right over top of his back is just, I, I'm going to be suffering from that one for a long time. But anyway, long story short, we haven't ha- we haven't had very good luck together since that last turkey hunt, and I think that yeah. probably we need to go out here in the next week or two we and will. Uh, we'll and it. work on remedying that. Um, we'll remedy it for sure. So you've already been out this year, um, yep. like like you said, me and you went out together one time. Uh, you had an early season tag here in Colorado for a, yep. a ranch and for wildlife tag that allows you to hunt before the primary season starts. Yeah. Um, and you had just come back from Nebraska. I'm actually going to Nebraska on Sunday. And yes, you are. Be on your filming way an, shortly. Filming an episode of Bowhunter TV with Kurt Wells out there next week. Um, but tell me, tell me about your hunt um, this uh, this year in Nebraska, and maybe talk about that. You know, by the time people hear this pod- podcast, it won't really be early season anymore because it's right. heck. We're in the middle of April now. Right. right. Um, 
but there's some special challenges sometimes that come oh, with hunting those those birds out there in the uh, in those earlier seasons at the end of March or, or right at the beginning yep. of April. Talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, and that's something that that, that you're going to find. You know that 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 we find a lot, uh, especially in in a lot of states, Nebraska, Kansas. I mean, it, it can be the same anywhere. Dealing with it right now here in Colorado, and that is uh, the particular place that I hunt in Nebraska. It just has it, it holds a lot of birds and yeah. so early season like that those birds are still in large flocks breeding yeah. hasn't really begun yet if it is it's happening on a very small scale and so this particular group of birds that we found there were um 11 toms in the group 11 yep. long beards in the group, one Jake and just a passel of hens. I mean, there yeah. was so many of them. And at that time of year, you know, when those hens pitch down, they, they, they'll all just kind of mill around each other for a while. And they're just waiting to see where those hens where one or two of those lead hens are going to say, Hey, we're going here today. And then it's right. just, they're going to tail them and they're going to tail them and they're going to tail them and they're going to tail them. And most of the time, even that early in the season, I mean, this was late March, you might get a Tom or two to break off that group of 11, but for the most part, they, they're going to stay together. They're going to stay wherever those hens are, um, just waiting waiting for something to pop. You know, you get a real nice weather day or something, you might be able to pull a Tom off of them midday or something like that. But our plan was we just paid attention to travel. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like hunting, hunting a whitetail. If you can get on travel um, with that many birds and you can be set up where they want to be, because they can right. be very predictable that time of year. Patterning those birds is not a hard thing. You just need to spend some time. I'll waste a day of hunting patterning birds because right. I know that once I have them patterned and they're going to repeat that pattern and they're they're, they're doing what, what, what I've watched them do, you're going to go in there and you're going to have a really good chance of being successful. So my buddy Taryn and I, that's, that's what we did. I mean, we watched these birds in even, one evening. He'd watched them for a couple days before and travel was so super, super consistent. Um, and we did make the decision. We thought that, uh, that catching them on their way back to the roost, um, was probably going to be our best bet. The way the landscape and topography was there and where they were roosted. We didn't want to bump the roost because, uh, Taryn was going to hunt. We wanted to set up kind of in between on travel. And, um, we just went with a traditional set. You know, we, we, we got in a, a double bull. We set, um, uh, uh, Jake out over a lay down hen and put a put a put another hen in the mix. You know, you kind of call it. We've talked about it. Your little triangle of death there, yeah. and that's yeah. that's what we that's what we created. And um, man, it <laughs> it worked out like a charm because we were sitting there and we were starting to get kind of nervous. We were like, dude, we've watched them. Where are they? And it's sure. like six thirty and no birds. And we, you can see up this vast cornfield for a mile, and right. then. Uh, Taryn leaned over and he said, you should probably look up on the hill by the pivot. Cause I was looking out the corner of the blind. We weren't in the surround view. So I was peeking out this thing thinking, gosh, did they get behind us already. And it looked like ants coming off of this hill. Oh and it was so cool. One of the cool things about hunting early in the season like that is watching the interaction between that many birds for that long. I mean, the hens chasing each other, the toms got, I mean, those toms got in a fight. They ran a Jake off. I mean, we got to watch all that happen and watch how those birds interacted with each other. And then, um, yeah, finally we had, they were right in our lap. I mean, we had four hens come into the decoys and they were yapping and, you know, making fighting purrs and pecking on the head of the other hen. And, 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 and then the Jake came in Mm -hmm. and, 
I was like, what is the deal? Now I've got a shake in here. And, and these other toms, you can just hear them. They've got so many hens. They're to the left yeah. side of the blind and they're just, I mean, it just yeah. sounded like, I mean, it was just crazy. And I kept telling, asking Taryn, can you see him? And he's like, no. And I was like, then I'm going to shoot this Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hear Taryn say, you most certainly are not. <laughs> Cause you know me, I'm ready to fire, man. I was ready to swing. And I was I ready know, to swing. I know Taryn too, and I can, I can totally. You're yeah. out in his place there. No, yeah. you are not. No, you are absolutely not. And I'm yeah. thinking, why won't this? Why won't? You know. So finally, though, um, that that Jake started to get a little boisterous, moving those hens around in there, and those hens were yapping, and that's all it took. And and two big old long beards broke off, came in, knocked over the decoy. And the one that I shot just jumped up on top of it and just kind of turned broadside. And, oh, my gosh, it was like perfect. And so that was my first arrow at, at an animal out of the uh, out of the Venom 33. Yeah. And it just – it was perfect. I, I smoked him. I couldn't hit him any better. And he went off. And the cool thing about bow hunting turkeys too, and in and, and that early in the season, with that many longbeards in there, a yeah. dominance thing instantly took over then because they saw – a bird injured. My bird died three yards from the decoys. And as soon as he did, here they all, I mean, you know, here they all come running, you know, up on the Jake decoy that had already been, that already been knocked over, going over, picking up the head of my bird. So I I take it. You didn't uh, buy all, all three of your Nebraska. No, I bought one. (laughs) I bought one because I'm an idiot. I always have two. Oh man. So I'm sitting there like, I've doubled by doing that, but I've, mm-hmm. I've never killed more than one more than two. Uh, yeah. when, and, and just for those of you that don't know, turkeys are vicious. They oh, are, gosh. they are ruthless, vicious animals. Um, and all birds are, I, I raise chickens. Yeah. You do too, Jace. Yep. And chickens They'll are the same way. If, if they <laughs> see one that is injured, yep. they, there is no empathy. There no. is no sympathy. No, nope. they they want to kill it. Yep. When they see one that is struggling, they want to kill it. And what what Jace is talking about when he thumped that long beard and it went down right there in the middle of the yeah. decoys, having that bird flopping on the ground looking like it's injured causes the other ones to attack it. And yep. oh, it, it, oh, I watched a video of somebody dude. on one of the double bull videos a long time ago who killed four down at, he had four tags in his pocket. Um, yeah, it was in Texas. It I was in Texas video and it was, and nuts. it was nuts. Dude kills one, one hits the ground. Another one piles on, kills it. It oh. hits the ground. More turkeys come to attack him. And he, yeah. he filled all four of his tags in oh, yeah. uh, a span of five minutes. Um, it's, it's incredible to see that because yeah, they, they play on that response of weakness so quickly because it's yeah. one more chance for them to establish some sort of dominance. You know, well, it's talking, one more chance for them to show. Talking about, you know, that early season when you're trying to pull them, you know, pull a couple of toms out of that great big group. Um, do you find that putting more decoy, I can't tell you how many times yeah. I've sat there with one Jake and a hen decoy and yeah. watched that big group, that big flock that's together, ignore me from, you know, a hundred yards oh, out yeah. or something like or that. Or skirt around you. All day long, and yep. they just don't care. Do you feel like putting more decoys out helps to sometimes pull them away from the group? Like having your own little flock in front of you? 
I really think it does, especially early season. You know, it's it's not something that I really feel necessary later on. But right. early in the season, you know, a lot of people always ask the question about calling, you know, and, and how much you should call or yeah. when you should call. Well, as a, when I'm calling turkeys, I let the turkeys that I'm hunting dictate how and how much I'm calling. If you don't right. have hens that are active and, and they're not they're not yelping hard and they're not cutting hard, if they're just letting out a single yelp every once in a while or just, you know, you kind of have to mimic that. So I try to yeah. go to the same on my decoy setups. And, and those early season setups like that, you know, they're traveling in, in, in large groups. And when they see a few birds, it's I think it's a lot more attractive to them than, you know, a single, a single Jake or a single Tom over, over a lay down hen or something like that. If you can, if you have a, a lookout hen and a feeder hen and you have a little group out there, you know, right. it, 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 right. it's, it's more visually stimulating to them. Um, yep. cause Karen and I were even talking about that, you know, we knew we were on travel, but we've also had those times when those birds just don't want anything to do with any other birds because this is their group and they'll yeah. actually, you know, those hens will actually take those birds out and around, you know, that's got a big field or a big wood line to work with and they'll take sure. them out and around and skirt you. And then you're, yeah. you're done, you, you know, unless you can break a Tom off, but yeah. uh, if you give them something, um, something a little more visual to look at, I, I, I really do think it helps. I do too. Um, and you know, you mentioned the, 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 the triangle of death. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my triangle of death setup when I'm hunting out of a ground blind, you know, I, it's my favorite setup for turkeys, regardless of what time of year it is. I feel like, and you can tell me if you agree or not, Jace, but the later in the season that it gets, the, uh, the more risky it is to use a, a, a male bird in your setup. Um, or I shouldn't say risky, but the, in the beginning of the season, I like to have a strutting Tom out there a lot, you know, sure. and, and sure. the later the season gets, the more likely it is that you're going to have Toms that shy away from a male bird. And I think yeah. that that's because they have been fighting for a full month or yeah. two. And they've had their butts whipped to chant. A, a lot two, of times right? when you, when you kill a bird and you go and you're looking at that bird afterwards and breasting him and stuff, you find mm -hmm. these big gouges and holes in them that yeah. are caused by spurs. They're, oh yeah, they're no just, question. The, the later it gets in the season, the more beat up they are. Um, however, in that beginning of the season, my favorite thing to do is take that male bird, whether it's a strutter or whether it's a Jake or mm -hmm. whichever one you want to use, and I'll put him right where I want the shot to happen. That's right. You know, maybe ten yards in front of the blind, yep. and usually put him with a hen decoy, like mm -hmm. a, a, a a hen either bedded or right up close to a, hen, a standing hen decoy or something like that. And then the the triangle that we're talking about is I'll take two more hen decoys and run them at about a 45 degree angle closer to the blind. So the base of my triangle is basically five yards from the blind maybe. Yeah. And you've got these two hens that are kind of like, I, I think that they serve a couple of purposes. Um, contentment. They're standing close to that blind that sometimes some of those turkeys are a little bit nervous about. Absolutely. And they're saying, nothing's wrong here. Everything's just fine. Yep. But when a turkey, when a, when, a, when a gobbler commits to that setup, he goes right to that male bird. 
Yeah. He goes right to that male bird at 10 yards, right where you want him. And 95% of the time, that's right where the shot happens is yep. right there on that, on that bird out front, that yep. male that you put out there. Um, and it's, it, I've, I've used that setup quite a bit and maybe even added a couple more contentment decoys close to the mm -hmm. blind in that mm -hmm. early season scenario in Nebraska. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you were talking about calling, um, over calling and things like that. And as you know, I'm aggressive. So you am know, I. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty aggressive. And there are definitely times where I've scared turkeys off by over calling. Sure. And, sure. But there's also times where I have created a party that oh, yeah. all of a sudden they decide, uh, I don't know what the heck is going on over there, but I need to go check it out. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. And when, when you hear those big flocks, there's so much calling going on. If mm -hmm. you've got that little flock of decoys out in front of you, you better be calling like a, like a flock of turkeys is calling. Yep. yep. I, so, I totally agree with that. Um, and, and another thing that I really try to do too, and this is this is always, this is any time of year, but I think this is something people really can overlook, um, is you know, you're paying you're paying so much attention to the calling and things like that. But a lot of times when you're hunting turkeys, you you have a visual. Not always, but there are a lot of times when you do have a visual. And right. a, a, a male bird's attitude or his visual appeal, um, or even a, a a hen for that matter, they're gonna tell you a lot about your chances of getting those birds in, in, in on your decoys or, or bow hunting close where you can, where you can make that shot. You know, right. if, if, if hens are, if hens come into the decoys, you, you've won the game. If they yes. accept your decoy spread and they're in there and you get a hen in there and she starts, you know, I love it when a hen, big old boss hen walks up to that decoy and gets right in her face and just whap, 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 yep. or hits her on the head or starts making the fight and purr. And then, those hens will actually puff up their feathers as well. You know, they'll flare up and want to oh, yeah. show, you know, that we're in here when that happens, you know, so, so, so paying attention to those things and then also paying attention to, to the gobblers, you know, Taryn and I knew that day we, when those, when those toms started to get close uh -huh. five or six of the 11, you know, once they could see the decoy, what did they do? Boom. They blew up into strut. Right. And, you know, back down into three quarter strut and then made some real fast strides and then boom, blowing up again. That's letting you know that they're that they're not happy, that they're that, that they want to show their dominance over what's going on. That's why they're that's why they're going into strut, you know, right. and then also paying attention to, you know, most of those toms in that group, especially once I shot my bird. Um, and even as they're coming in, those heads just go stone white. Yeah. I mean, it's yep. it's it's a stone cold color of color of white. And that, that is a bird that is absolutely it's, fired, man. White is, white is a good sign. White is good on, to go. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's exactly right. When they go white from the crunkles all the way up, that is a yep. very aggressive sign. And it's, it, it, it's funny. As soon as you see everything go back to red, especially if the little white cap on top of its head goes completely red, Yep. And that shrew, that, that snood starts to shrink up. Yep. And they stick their head straight up in the air. Something's wrong. They're going <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. You know? But yeah. th that's what you want to see is yep. is going in and out of strut and going completely white, yes. or maybe with a little bit of blue on it. And, yeah. And yeah, that's an aggressive bird. Oh aggressive my bird. Um, um. 
Go ahead, Jason. Well, my, I was just going to say to that point, my, my son, you know, we've been hunting in Colorado a little bit and, and being that I've killed a couple of birds now, you know, I'm, 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 of course, I'm going to take my family anyway, but I had, my, I had my son, my oldest son, Hunter, out the other day, and I told him, I said, we're going to go out midday. It was a really warm day, um, and we had noticed some birds breeding that morning. We actually went out that morning, um, and, and I had taken my wife, and, and we watched uh, several toms breed several hens. Okay. And so, not knowing how long that was going on, you know, I, I had told, I told Hunter, I said, let's slip out. You know, it was like 1230 in the afternoon, one o'clock. I said, let's slip out. Let's get down in the timber and, and let's make some noise. You know, let's let's call and see if we can. You know, one of those toms is broken off. They bred some hens. Some of those hens are, you know, possibly some are already starting to, to, to sit on nests or, or just wanting to be left alone. And maybe we can maybe we can get something going. And so we did. We did. I mean, we had literally set in that blind for 45 minutes. Um and not not a gobble no response and all of a sudden hunter says dad here comes two toms and i was like where and he had a different angle looking up a little alley than i did from the other side of the blind and sure enough i i see these two toms coming and man those heads were as red as the underside of my cap and yeah. they were coming in head high one step at a time they'd seen that they could see our setup Right, and right. They never one time went into strut. They never one time went into three quarter strut. They never tried to make an aggressive move toward the decoy. The heads were up. The snoods shrunk down. Everything was red. And Hunter's cautious like, bird. Yeah, Hunter's like, what's wrong? And I was like, bud, they're not. They're we not had to actually play. have them cross a fence. We needed them to cross a fence off of the neighbors onto onto where we could hunt. And I told him, I told Hunter, I said this. This, this one's not going to happen. And, and, it, right. and it didn't. Those birds just made a loop and passed by. They didn't come in goblin. They weren't vocal. Um, they came in extremely quiet and just were very, very cautious. What decoy did you have out? What, what was your decoy set? So I had, um, I had a lookout hen. I had a feeding hen. I had a laydown hen with the jake over, with the jake over the laydown hen. Um, right. So like a, a half strut Jake or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like a half strut yep. Jake. And those two birds, I'm pretty sure I knew which birds they were from watching them that morning. They, they were, they, those other toms that were breeding were pushing them all over Around. the place. Yes. Right. They were pushing them absolutely all over the place. So well, if you're, if you're ever in a situation where you're, you know, like, let's say that you've got a smaller piece of property that you're hunting. And you know that the and you've had experience with the tom or toms that are hanging out on there, and you know that you're hunting some chickens. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do at that point, if you if if you think those are the birds that you're going to come across, that's when you pull the male decoy out of your spread. Completely. The next time you go after them, you go with the least intimidating decoy setup that you possibly can. Uh, you know, one lone hen or a bedded hen, uh, something like that. That's the only way in my experience to get those chicken birds to come in or yeah. just to catch them in just the right mood. Um, they're, they're just not dominant and they're, they're not going to come in on a male bird period. Yep. Yep. That's exactly, so, that's exactly right. <laughs> and it, the later in the season that you get, the more likely it is to have something like that happen. I was out two days ago. And I had a uh, I had a tom that was gobbling at me through the trees and I wasn't in a blind. I was sitting behind my stalker decoy, had my stalker attached to my bow. Mm -hmm. um, I had a bedded hen out in front of me and two of our wind drifter decoys 
um, kind of probably eight yards out in front of me. Yep. Um, this Tom gobbled his head off on the way in and he broke cover at 25 yards and I was video and self film and I've got him on film. It was actually, right. it was a pretty cool little video. Um, he comes out of the trees there at 25 yards and stands there, goes into full strut, um, struts back and forth. And I'm just sitting there purring at him, trying to get him to come all the way in. I wanted him yep. in my lap, sure. you know, and full commitment out of him. And he probably strut for a minute or so over there trying to convince, he sees this, my, my stalker decoy, which he thinks is a strutting Tom standing right. right next to these hens. His purpose for strutting over there is to try to get the hens to come away from me and go yep. over there to him yep. because he wasn't dominant enough to come over and chase me off, yep. you know? And after he displayed for them for oh, two or three minutes, he just went right back up into the trees and gobbled his little fool head off as he left. As you he know, went away. All, as yep. he walked away from me and, and, and yep. left. I could have shot him at 25, but I, like sure. I said, I wanted him to come in. I wanted him to be that dominant bird that's going to come in and commit that's and right. jump right in my lap. That's right. Um, but it, it, there's a lesson in that. Um, with that bird, I pro if, if that was the bird that I'm hunting again, and I think that that is going to be the bird in that particular area, I don't want to go at him with a strutting tom again. You right. know, Make I want to go at him. That's exactly, that's yep. exactly right. Make an adjustment. Pull the male bird out of the spread because had my strutting Tom that my stalker decoy on my bow not been there, that bird would have come right down into those hints. Oh, no, no, no question. And, yeah. and then like you said, it's, it's all about making an adjustment for, for the next time because, you know, you and I have been turkey hunting a long time and we've yep. been very fortunate to have hunted a lot of different places and, 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 have, and, have, and have harvested a lot of birds. And so it's just like when, when we went um, down here and I was hunting on that ranching for wildlife tag and first thing in the morning, we had the same thing that you just described happen yep. Yep. with one of the first toms off the roost, man, he come boiling across that field. And when I first saw him, I thought, I was right behind the, 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 uh, stalker, um, uh, and, yeah, and, the bow mounted decoy. Yeah, and I thought, shoot, here, here he comes. And, and this is, this is going to happen And about 33, 34 yards. You know, he just, he completely locked up and he was expecting, he was expecting that decoy on that bow to drop strut, um, to, to, to kind of give somewhat. Yeah, um, yeah. and, and, and he just, he, he, you know, I could have shot him and I, and I remember, you know, Hunter, who's, who's my son and, and, and he's, he's very early in his Turkey career. He was almost yeah. later that night, you know, he was almost mad at me. He's like, dad, why don't you just why shoot, him? You shoot him? You can shoot him. <laughs> and I'm like, I know I could have shot him too, buddy. Just yeah. like, you know, you could have shot that one, but yeah. we're after a different experience when we're hunting that way. We're yes. after that in your face, you know, like the bird I killed last year with that, with that stalker bow mounted. I shot that bird at three yards on a dead run. When, yeah. the, when the arrow went off, he was still coming. And as he turned, he kicked up dirt onto yeah. my body. Now that's yeah. a rush. You know, that's, oh. yeah. So, so, and then you'll There's have those nothing birds. like it. You know, you'll yeah. have those birds that are that dominant and that aggressive. But again, being an effective turkey hunter is all about just like being an effective bow hunter. You're constantly learning and you're constantly making adjustments. So like you said, you're yeah. hunting a property, you're hunting public, whatever you're hunting, and you get to know like, oh man, 
this is the two Toms that I'm hunting and neither one of them want anything to do with this right now. We'll stop giving them that. That's give them, exactly right. Give them something else, you know, change, change the look at it. Go, go with the single hen, you know, go and with I, a couple you know, of hens. I've had lots of guys that, that have said exactly that, where they came across a bird that was not dominant. Mm-hmm. And, with it, you know, we get all kinds of customers call us about the stock of decoys. Well, the sure. decoy didn't work. No, <laughs> it's, it's not that the decoy didn't work in either of the situations that we just talked about. If you've got a full strut tom, doesn't matter whether it's attached to your bow, doesn't matter whether you've got it 10 yards out in front of your blind. Yeah. When you see that situation, when a bird like that bird you were talking about on the Ransom for Wildlife tag a few days ago, he had his own hen with him. And he broke off of that hen because he saw your decoy strutting over another hen over there. He went sprinting like, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to kick your butt. But when he got to within that bird's safety zone, so to speak, and that bird didn't drop out of strut, all of a sudden he's like, whoa, who is this that I'm coming in here on? Am I about to get my butt kicked by this guy? Am I going to get thumped? So he stayed there at a safe distance and strutted around like begging that hen, please come over to me. And when she didn't, he decided I'm going to run right back to my hen. You know what I mean? And if you ever see that situation where that bird comes running in aggressively, stops and hangs up out there at 40, 50 yards or, you know, however far, and then changes his mind and leaves, it's usually because you have a male bird in your setup that was not cowering to him. That's right. So what I tell people is if you like, if you have that stalker decoy on your bow, for instance, Mm -hmm. the good thing is you can manipulate the decoy. Yes. You were where you were set up right there. You weren't necessarily in a position to do it because you were too high. You were kneeling on flat ground. Yep. If you have a little bit of a lip or anything like that in front of you, when you see that bird start to slow down, lower the decoy, drop mm-hmm. the decoy out of strut just a little bit. If you have like a B mobile from Primos, um, they have a, a, a drawstring on them. So right. that you can you can pull the fan on that strutting tom down, pull that thing out of strut. As soon as that bird starts to look like he might be having second thoughts, pull him out of strut. Make yep. it look like he's cowering a little bit, and that can that, that can salvage salvage the entire thing. It really it really can. Um, it absolutely can. And 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 you know when you when I tell people a lot of the, a lot of times too is you know um, read 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 the turkey, you know, a lot of those turkeys that are coming in, you know, it's just like dealing, it's just like dealing with a bully in a lot of ways when you're, when you're a kid or even later in life, a bully that wants to bully you is looking for any sign of weakness that you want to show a downcast to the eyes, uh, you know, nervous twitch in the hands, hands going in the pocket, anything that shows that bully, like, yeah, that's right. I'm the man here and I'm picking on you. Um, so a lot of times that's what that Tom's looking for. He's looking to say, Hey, you're going to, you're going to cower to me. And and if you can get that decoy to do that in some way and cower to that Tom, then that's going to, that's only going to in just like a bully that's ready to thinks, man, I'm now going to cause him to get even angrier. Yeah, That's that's exactly right. And if you don't show any signs of cowering, if you stay in complete full strut, then a lot of times they will turn around and leave you alone. Yes. 
Yes, and then they'll talk crap the entire way they go yeah, away. Just that's like exactly they, right. They'll just talk crap the whole way. Those two birds that wouldn't gobble at Hunter and I the other day until they came in, you know, and then and then walked off. Soon yeah. as they got twenty yards from the decoys, Hunter's like, "Why are they gobbling now?" I said, "Because they're being they're being a pain." Yeah, they're just now now they're just. I said, "It's like the, it's like the guy that didn't want anything to do, and now now they want to talk crap as they're walking away." I said, "That's yep. what they're doing right now." Yep, that's so, exactly right. Yeah. Well, we we've been talking about early season stuff and now yeah. we've kind of transitioned into into middle of the season let's yeah. talk about how guys can uh can be more successful in the later season because yes. most people aren't going to hear this until probably april yep. 20th and when you get to the end of april and and into may the game changes just a little bit oh, game changes a lot and, and there's and- there's some good parts and bad parts there are some good parts and bad parts the good part for me and i think this is where a lot of guys gals turkey hunters miss the good part to me is the later in the season you know that 10 o'clock to two o'clock in the afternoon time frame for me becomes my absolute without any question at all favorite time to hunt a bird um because if you can get one to go a lot of times if you can get one to go you're gonna you've got a really good chance at that bird um, get one to start calling at you. Yeah, if you can get saying. if you yeah. go down and you set up and you start making some hen talk and you get one to go and you get one to fire and a Tom gets aggressive, a lot of times he's going to come because a, he has no hens or he had hens and they're and they're and they're and they're sitting on nests. Um, there's there's all kinds of different there's all kinds of different things that can happen. Yeah. Those those toms, like you're talking about, uh, right now in the middle of April, they're generally getting bred. Yes. And after they've been bred a certain number of times, you know, they'll fly down off of that. They start looking for a nest and then they actually start actively nesting. Yes. Um, and they'll fly down off that roost. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll peck around and feed for just a little while. And then they strike out for their nest that they've created. Or, and, and those toms get left alone in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, just like you were saying, when that, that Tom might've started out with six hens with him in the morning and one by one, those hens leave him. And the next thing you know, he's hanging out all by himself, which can be a big, a big advantage. It really can. It can be a real, real big advantage. Cause he's still looking to breed. He still yeah. wants to find, he still wants to find a willing hen. And if you yeah. can be down there and you can be that hen, it can happen so fast. Um, the last two years, um, on a property here close to my house, I have killed both my toms exactly that way, exactly right. that way. And it was over. Yep, and it was over in a matter of me getting in the blind, and over in a matter of of, of ten to fifteen minutes. Because you go right. down there, that tom responds, and then all of a sudden he he the next time he responds, he's that much closer, and that goes again back to reading you know, what's going, what's going on? Because a lot of times you don't, you can get hot and you can, and and you can really work that Tom, but if you're Mm -hmm. calling to that Tom um, and he's responding regularly and each time he's a little closer, he, he's coming, he's, he's coming to look, you know, it's not hard to tell, you know, unless you're in a real windy situation that that bird's getting closer. And right. 
when he is getting when he is getting closer, you might as well just go ahead and get ready because before long you're going to get a visual, and then you're going to then get to see you know how he's going to react react to your react to your setup. Is there anything with your setup that you usually change once you get to the end of April, beginning of May? Yeah, rarely will I go with a full strutter in the decoys, um, and yep. I'll shrink my decoy spread size. Typically, I have a Jake over a laydown hen. That's kind of my go-to, and it's yep. just like choosing a broadhead or an arrow or anything else that we do. Why? Because that's what I've had the most success with. I haven't right. had a lot of success with you know, a lot more decoys. I found that uh, uh, a quarter strut Jake uh, over a lay down hen, which is a hen that's, we should clarify what that is. That's a hen that's in a position to be bred where the Tom's ready to walk up on her back and start breeding. Um, That's, that's my go-to setup. Um, Right. And, 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 and it can work extremely, extremely well. Another thing that I will do as well that time of year is, I have just gone to a single hen or even just um, a a couple of hens because, again, you don't always know that you're dealing with the boss gobbler um, that's going to come in and want to fight anything and everything. You might be dealing with a bird that just – like throw me a bone here guys I need a hen. And, 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 you know, but every time I go look for a hen, I come around a corner and I get a wing smacked across my face and a spur in my neck. I just want to walk up on a hen – by herself and yep. then I can do my thing for a little bit. And so yep. again, it's all, it's all about, you know, reading those birds and knowing and, and not being afraid to adjust. A lot of guys are, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that are like, I, I'll never set a decoy spread without a boy, de- a boy bird in the spread. Well, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, okay, I, I, rare, I rarely start out, rarely ever start out without, a male bird. Same here. Spread. No, no question. I, I totally. I, I've almost always got that male bird because just like we talked about, it's almost like clockwork. That's where the shot's going to happen. Yeah. However, even if you have a boss tom that late in the season, that boss tom has been fighting every single day for the last month and a half. Yeah. And a lot of times they're just sore. They're yeah. stove up. I mean, yeah. we videoed a turkey fight one year that was a fight to the death. Where one of these toms got, I don't know whether he got pecked in the head or spurred in the head, but it killed him. He died sure. right there on camera. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, these birds get beat up and they're, it, you'll still have, if you come across that dominant boss tom, a lot of times he'll still fight and he'll still come into a Jake decoy later in the season. But it, man, there's times where even that bird is just he's tired of fighting. All he wants yes. to do is breed. And the first time that I get one come in and and look at that setup and shy away from a from a male bird, if I'm still hunting in that vicinity, the male bird comes out of the setup, and I do go to yep. the less intimidating, either a single uh, a single hen or or double hen set with no male bird. Yep. 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 It, it goes, it just goes back to knowing, knowing your bird and, 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 and reading that bird, especially if you've had encounters before, um, you, you've just got to adjust accordingly. And, and, and I promise just, just because you don't have a male bird in the spread does not mean you're not going to get a bird to come in. Um, oh yeah. Those, you know, to, 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 to the hens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's definitely, definitely something to, to, to keep in mind there. Um, but yeah, late season, 
that's that's kind of my that's kind of my my go-to tactic because I like a lot of midday hunting. Um, I like to cover I like to cover ground, um, get aggressive. I, I'm very aggressive, uh-huh. just like you said. I'm not afraid to, you know, if I bump a bird or 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 or, or whatever. I'm I mean you're in the middle part of the season, you're trying to make something happen. And so you're really, really going out and getting after it um, and trying to spark a bird and and, and play on that bird's aggression and his desire to, to, to breed as he's maybe hasn't bred a hen yet or has bred multiple hens that are now nesting and he's still looking for more. Well, we, there's one thing that I do want to talk about before we get off this podcast and we're getting close to an hour. Let's talk about our, our bow setups. Yeah. Let, let's talk about what we like to, to have in a setup uh, as far as the bow and broadhead combination go when we're turkey hunting. Yep. there's so some. Go ahead and talk about that a little. I got this question posed to me the other day on Instagram and, and I finally just told the, the, the gentleman that was, that was, I said, just call me. I said, cause I, to type all this is, yeah. is going to take me a while. Just call me. Here's the thing. Um, turkeys are tough. Don't get me wrong. You got to hit them square. And yep. that is why when it comes to broadhead selection, you need to be shooting a large cutting expandable broadhead. Um, right. You, you know, don't just, you're not having, you know, a lot of guys that worry about having to break through, you know, heavy bone and tissue and things like that. Yes, they have feathers, but um, you're going a, a large cut expandable, uh, a, a two inch, 2.1 inch, expandable that is sharp has a good needle point ferrule is going to drive into that bird and even if it stays in the bird that's fine yeah i i don't right. mind that one bit the bird i shot that morning i mean i hit him right in the wing butt and it you know it lodged in him but he didn't take it 15 yards so All i right. think that's something to keep in mind the, the larger the better a larger broadhead gives you more room for air it does more damage to the bird um and i have lost very few birds uh, with a large fixed blade or excuse me, a large expandable head. Um, when it comes to your bow setup, um, sight wise, we're different in this aspect. I like a single pen. <laughs> I like don't, a single don't, pen. We don't need to don't go listen there. to Jace on this part. Don't I, listen I, to Jace. I do like a single pin sight. Um, especially for turkeys. Cause a lot of times that shot is going to happen inside of 20. Um, and then there's, there's other, things that we could talk about there, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump past that and we'll go into the bow setup. Um, one thing that everybody needs to remember, um, when it comes to your bow is paying attention to your poundage. Turkeys are not, you're, you're not shooting a moose. I I promise you are not shooting a moose. And so you want to be able both in a ground blind and behind a bow mounted decoy, the smoother and more efficient you can draw the better your chances of getting drawn without creating any game spooking movement. If you have to, if you have to bring that riser way up and pull down or be down and pull up and then come up, that is all unnatural and unnecessary movement. Even in a ground blind, even in a ground blind, because you're giving your release time to shine. You're giving that bird something else. If you can hold the riser straight out in front of you, and bring straight back to draw, th- then you're good. If you can do that at 90 pounds, 80 pounds, great. Yeah. But if you can't, drop your bow poundage down for turkey season and you'll be more successful at getting drawn on birds and not and not creating game spooking movement um, that is that is just unnatural to them because they're sharp. 
They're super me, savvy. The way that I like to, that I tell people, especially when I've guided uh, turkey bow hunters, um, I'll tell them, sit flat on your butt. Yep. Sit on the ground, Indian style. And now I want to see you draw your bow back basically without moving your bow hand. So your bow hand is pointed toward the target. Arrows, yep. your sight pin's basically right on the target. And you need to be able to bring that string directly to your face yep. without moving your bow hand one iota. That's right. If you can't do that in a seated position or in any position that you're going to do it from, you're shooting too much weight. Yep. And it's really important with turkeys because even so if, you're, if you're in a ground blind, that movement right there, if you look at somebody from a side angle, when they're drawing inside the ground blind, what the turkey can see out in front, oh. there is there is a huge difference in the amount of movement if that bow hand has to move around at all. And it, you're you're spot on with that. That's a, that's the number one mistake that I see people make yep. when they're when they're getting their bow rig ready for turkey season. Yep, absolutely. So you know, think think bow rig. You know, when you're thinking bow rig. Think, you know, a manageable poundage, put the time yeah. in ahead of time, exactly like Danny said, shoot from every body position you can imagine, especially the flat on your butt with your legs out, out in front of you, because yeah. if you can draw from there, you can draw straight back from about anywhere. So get your poundage set correctly and then make sure that the broadhead on the end of that arrow is a large cutting expandable that's going to give you some room for air. Um, that's yep. going to cut larger wound channels and create more internal trauma um, yep. because the turkey you don't have you don't have well, a ton of room for air it's a softball size vital it is it's, it's a softball, softball size, size and and it, 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 the last thing that i would say is it's super important to know where to aim yes and it, it's amazing <laughs> I, yeah i've got I, i've got a buddy of mine who has killed a pile of turkeys, but he's lost like three or four this year. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, um, where are you aiming? And he starts describing it to me. And, it, you know, like talking about wing butt and then talking about different positions. A lot of times there's there, we take it for granted that everybody knows where to aim. Yeah. It's an important thing for you to understand. And it's not always where the 12 ring is on no. the, the local 3d Turkey target. No. Um, no. And, the, the best way that I've come up with telling people, I, I don't know how you explain it to people, Jason, yeah. but there you divide that turkey's body into thirds, whether yep. he's in strut, whether yep. he's in a feeding position, upright, whatever. Yep. You divide it into thirds. You aim at the top third line. Yep. And whether you can see the feet or not, I just basically try to put the arrow, to pass the arrow on that top third line between the legs. Yeah. And if he's perfectly broadside to where you can't see those legs, they're just married as one. Mm -hmm. I might slide that thing an inch in front of where I think the legs are. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, a, a big thing that, that we see uh, that I see a lot of times with with turkey with turkey hunters shooting with a bow is, is, is a lot of turkeys get lost because the shot is too low. Um, they're yeah. shooting in that bottom third especially on a bird that's in strut because their air sac allows them to look. I mean, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I gotta be, you've got to remember that they're inflating that body with air. And right. 
All that you have down there is an air sac and breasts. And if you and punch breasts. them through the breasts, you can forget about it. Um, they're yeah. going to, they, will they die possibly? Are they, are you going to find them super doubtful? There there's, there's no blood. There's no, there's not a lot of hemorrhaging. I mean, there's just, it's, it's, it's just not a good shot. Um, so yeah, I do the same. I divide it into thirds and I want to be, I want to be higher than if, if you're going to miss, you want to miss a little higher than you do lower. You're going to have a much better yep. chance. But if you can put it in that third section towards the top mm-hmm. end of that third section, you're, that bird, that bird's going to expire and he's going to, he's going to expire really within quickly. sight within yeah. sight. Yep. And yep. a lot of guys, you know, just like on elk or anything else, um, I, I do like a full frontal shot on a bird. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people will be like, well, you're full it, again, it all goes back to confidence and where, you know, to put that. And right. if, if, if I have a bird that's standing there in full strut or just facing me head on and I can see the very top of where that beard comes and my pin is glued and I'm going through my shot process and it's just above that, that's a, that's a done deal. That's, that's a 100% dead bird. Um, you're, 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 you're killing a lot of stuff right there. Uh, so yeah, you've got to have an understanding of where you're going to, where you're going to hit that bird and where you should hit that bird. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, that, that, that happened after those 11 toms, you know, ended up after my Tom died that we were talking about earlier in Nebraska this year, then it was on. I mean, like you said, we talked about birds are ruthless. There's birds over there picking up my bird's head, jumping oh, yeah. on the Jake that that bird had already destroyed. So Taryn was like, yeah, I'm going. So we just switched. <laughs> I grabbed the video camera. He grabbed his bow. And when he shot, I told him he, we couldn't see it. He didn't have a lighted knock. The video didn't pick it up real good. But then when we slowed it down, you could see that the arrow was low. Um, All right. And that bird, we, we, you know, we did our due diligence. We came back the next morning. We looked, but we, we didn't find that bird. And it's really common to shoot in that lower, lower portion um, of yeah. that bird, you know, so you and just looks, make sure. A lot it of times good. it looks, it <laughs> looks like that arrow's right in the middle of the bird. Yeah, it does. But it's, it's, it's not because their body morphs so much inside of all those feathers. Yeah, you know, we're running over a little time right now, but I don't care. There was there was something else that I thought of while you were talking about that chasing birds when you hit them with a bow. I see guys that jump out of their blind running over after a bird that's been hit. Please don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't chase your turkeys. If you hit one bad or whatever, 90% of the time, they don't know when you shoot them with a bow, they don't know what just happened. Yeah. And if you're, if you're in a ground blind, if you hop out of that thing immediately, every other bird around there, number one gets educated that that ground blind's a bad thing, which, you know, some of those hens are around year after year. You do not want to educate them. No. Um, Number two, if that bird runs off, mark the last position where you saw him. He's probably not going to go far. You need to let that broadhead have time to do its work and, and, and cause the hemorrhaging yep. and let that bird get yep. weaker. Yes. Yes. And that's something and that I see a lot too. You, yeah. You, you hit yeah. the nail on the head. And, and remember this too, when you do, if you play your cards right and you know the hit wasn't the best and you know like, ah, oh, gosh, this isn't where I wanted to be. That bird, everybody tends to think that that bird is going to go a mile. Yeah. They're not an elk. Right. They're not no. a whitetail. What nope. that bird is going to do 
90% of the time, I'm not saying that this is the full on every time, but in my experience, that bird is going to find the nearest, heaviest, thickest brush pile cover right. under a log in the middle of a tamarack in a sage. And they are going to get there and they are going to make themselves as small as possible to avoid predators and things. They know they're hurt. And yep. now they're in survival mode and their survival and, and now, mode tells and, them and they don't want to see. Do. No, they don't want to. They don't want to see another no. turkey either. No. And, and because the other turkeys will attack. Yep. I'll tell you this. Years ago, I shot a bird and it was on the Purgatory River down here. And I knew the I knew the hit was bad. And we gave that bird. You know, we were going to give him two hours and we gave him about two minutes <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you got to go look, you know, and literally we were walking back and forth in this area. A buddy, uh, I mean, just it wasn't heavy cover. Right. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> this bird yeah. comes running like a pheasant flushing almost. He had got under, there was a rotted log. And it was, it had growth up in front of it, but it was rotted to the inside and he had curled up in there. And, and that's what he, I mean, we would have probably found him because we would have seen a feather sticking out if we had done our due diligence. Sure. So don't push those birds. They're gonna, they're gonna stoke up. They're going to hold up. Um, you want to, you want to treat it just like you do a, a big game. Absolutely. Animal. Give them, no give them time. Yep. And then you go to that last spot where they, where you saw them disappear and you find the thick cover and yep. you comb through that thick cover. And, and uh, man, I, I'm not going to say nine times out of 10, but I'd say half the time yeah. that bird, you're going to find him in some of that cover, not far from where you last saw him. And, either he'll be dead or you're going to get a follow-up shot. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you usually, I've had several times where I could get that second arrow in them. Um, yep. and, and, and you can, and you can end it right there. But the moral of the story is don't chase the turkeys. Don't chase the turkeys. Don't and chase the turkeys. Shoot them a little <laughs> higher than you probably think, especially if it's one of your first birds and you don't have a lot of experience. Shoot them, shoot them higher than you, than you shoot them higher than lower. How's that? Shoot them higher than lower. Yeah. Me and you could talk turkeys. All I can day. talk turkeys all day. Oh man! And guys, if if you're not familiar with Jace, <laughs> if, if you're not familiar with Jace, you need to look him up. Jace honestly is one of the best bow hunters that I know. Oh, and I, I, I mean, honestly, there's I, I know a lot of bow hunters, and I'm I'm not just saying that. Jay, we didn't go into some of the other stuff that Jace does. He's an ultra marathoner. He's He's insane. He runs hundred hundred mile races. Yeah. Um, he is. He will walk you into the dirt. He is the only human being that I've ever that I've ever heard of doing something like this. But there was a wounded antelope one time. Oh, no, no, no. That <laughs> that he literally wanted. To, he 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 wanted to keep his eyes on this thing for when it went down, and he ran the antelope. Till it died he and he did it for a buddy um and literally kept up with this antelope on foot and, and until it fell over dead yeah. um i don't know very many guys that have both the physical capabilities the mental capabilities the the uh the shooting acumen as jace does and if you ever get a chance to read any of his stuff in any of the bow hunting magazines uh or or look at him on on instagram 
um, you need to. Do yourself a favor. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's one of my best buddies. Thanks for coming on, brother. Hey, bud. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. All right, man. And uh, everybody else, we will uh, see you down the trail and hope that you uh, uh, hope that you enjoyed this one. Uh, we got another one coming here real soon. See you later.